You're listening to Endeavor Against Extremism, brought to you by The Clarion Project. I'm your host, Shireen Kadosi. I've always felt that the power of stories could never be underestimated. Stories are, are the most human thing about us, and if we can understand our crises at this point, using a framework of stories and narratives by speaking to real people, by understanding the real conversations that really should be happening at this hour that aren't always brought to you, then we can perhaps endeavor to understand our world today and our place in it, as well as learn the skills to build the world that we want so that we don't have to go the route of other groups of people who have felt that in times of extreme stress and duress, the only way to survive was to become more extreme. I'm with Jeff Scoop, who is a former commander of the largest Nazi party in the United States. He's currently working to convert hate group members and eradicate white nationalism through his nonprofit Beyond Barriers. Jeff, it is so great to have you here again today. Oh, thanks for having me on the program again, Shireen. Absolutely. So I've written about the Proud Boys, but I really wanted to get your expertise and your opinion. Obviously, you've you've lived this life to some extent. Uh, you know, you have this sort of gender confirmation. You kind of maybe get this more than I do. I wanted to know. You know, I've got I've got my view, and I've shared that with our readers. But I really wanted to get your view about what your take is on the Proud Boys, the culture of violence, the presidential response. So. The whole gambit. We're gonna we're gonna jump right in. How would you define Proud Boys? Because here's the thing: I've seen them be called extremists, a violent gang, peacekeepers, vigilantes, white supremacists, neo-fascists, and a militia. How do you make sense of who they are? Right. That's a good question. I mean, one of the things I can say is, uh, you know, going back to my time when I was in the uh, white nationalist movement. I never back then. I never considered the Proud Boys to be white nationalists. Now, doing the work I do now in, in counter extremism, I hear uh, most people, a lot of people, will say, "Oh, they're white nationalists," and uh, so on and so forth. And and uh, to be honest, you know, I mean, look at the look at the situation, or if you look at the organization itself, excuse me, the Proud Boys. Uh, the guy that's running the organization is uh, African-American and Cuban. So, um, you know, calling it a white supremacist group, I think, is is quite a stretch when the guy that's running it isn't white. So, um, you know, to me, it, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what race a person is that's doing this and that. But when you're looking at it from the outside looking in and if the media and there's people that are saying, hey, this is a white supremacist group and you go right to the group, the group's head, and the guy that's running it isn't white. And he said, this is the most ridiculous thing um, you could accuse us of as being white supremacists, because here the guy running it isn't isn't even uh, white. It's pretty hard to be a white supremacist if you're not white. So um, I think that it's an unfair label in that sense. And I'm not coming in here to defend the Proud Boys either. There's no uh, there's no reason for that. I mean, if, if a person wants to interview the Proud Boys, they should interview the Proud Boys. And I have no reason to uh, say one way or another what they're <clears throat> what they're doing. I'm just looking at it from the perspective of uh, propaganda. All right, and this is what concerns me about it. If if a if a person's looking for an organization like that not to grow. Um, 
when the media comes on and tells people, hey, this is a white supremacist group, it's bad, so on and so forth, immediately when a person looks into it and they see, okay, now I've been lied to because I was just told that this was a white supremacist group. I'm looking at it, the group itself in their bylines and their, in their, uh, about their organization, it says they're against racism and it's run by someone that's not white. So how is it a white supremacist group? I just think it's, it's incredibly dishonest and it's easy to disprove. And when, when the media is caught in it, because you have this fake news uh, thing that a lot of people are concerned about now, and, and uh, you have the president talk about fake news, everybody talks about fake news. And immediately, when you have something like this, the average person can look at it and go, okay, now I've been lied to, I was told this is a white supremacist group. So instantly, I think the curiosity of the individual is now going to look into this organization and see what it's about. So. I think uh, from that perspective, I think it's going to be a huge recruitment boon for the uh, for the Proud Boys. I really do. You recently had an article um, where you, you did exactly this. You warned the media and you warned the public to be more informed in how you report them, or how you talk about the Proud Boys. And so and so I do want to get back to the question of, you know, what do you call them? Do you know, if you don't call them, do you call them? Next? Would you say that they're an extremist group, first of all? That's a, I mean, that's a hard designation. I think there is some evidence um, out there that would, that would get people to say yes, they are an extremist group. Um, What's and the then evidence? There's other evidence. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What's the evidence for them being an extremist group? Well, the fact that uh, some of the demonstrations and things that they have, in some cases, they they turn into violence, you know. And but um, I see that as sort of a. Uh, tit for tat type of thing because a lot of times uh, just in my experience in the white nationalist movement in the past as well a lot of times you'd go into a rally and you'd be attacked by the far left and this is the a similar thing with the proud boys so sometimes they're going out and then there's fighting and violence and things like that so um, a lot of people would uh, would lean towards it being an extreme organization just because of that because they are out there um you know, getting into altercations and things like that at these at these events. But uh, I'm not quick to point the finger and blame one side or the other. Um, coming out of the white nationalist movement and being an, an extremist in the past, we painted things with a broad brush. You know, we mm. would say, oh, well, all black people are like this or all Jewish people are like this. And, you know, painting people with a, uh, in groups with a broad brush. So I'm very careful not to do that anymore and not to uh, I don't think it's fair to place all the blame on on one side when both sides are doing things that are incorrect yeah my take on the proud boys is and I've had this conversation with colleagues pretty extensively over the last uh, few days is you know when I give you these labels right now extremist violent gang peacekeeper vigilantes white supremacist neo-fascist militia depending on who you're asking depending on what specific angle of of their their behavior you're looking at or their their rhetoric for example you could say one or the other applies what i have seen from my and i want your take on this because what i see from this entire sort of organization is is a couple things one i see what is essentially a disenfranchisement and a sort of a lack of um you know a, a feeling of belonging in in society and feeling like you're sort of pushed into the corner 
And then I also see this other this other sort of element, and that's that there's a sort of cross-pollination of different groups and ideas. And so for on one hand, some people will say, oh, they're an anti-Semitic group. On the other hand, they denounce anti-Semitism and they partner, I think they recently partner with a Jewish group um, to denounce anti-Semitism. And so there's a lot of blurred sort of um, identity markers as to who and what they really are. And their entire presence right now with the way that they're being treated and the way that they're responding to Antifa, uh, the entire sort of spectrum of their sort of performance on the national landscape has me thinking that this is one of those cases where, you know, uh, for example, uh, there's so many different extremist groups that are sort of surfacing or rising to the surface right now. There isn't a fixed label you can put on it. Things are really changing. They're, they're still sort of adapting to what's going on. One group bounces off of another group. Um, you know, alliances are made, alliances are broken. The, the right, the far right, for example, has changed so much. It used to be, what was it, the alt-right? Then it was, um, around that time, it was the far right, then it was Groypers. Now it's, according to McInnes, there's a new right. And, and none of those things are typically conservative principles anyways. And so you're seeing things really, like, attach onto bigger, what I would call ideological vessels, and be very, very difficult to pinpoint. My my thinking is um, that ultimately it's, it's a group of uh, disenfranchised men who essentially are very happy to go and look for a fight. Would you say that that is accurate? Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's a good point that you brought up. And, I, and there was one other thing I wanted to mention, too, that I had actually just read today that um, in Salt Lake City, the, the head of the Proud Boys there had met up with Black Lives Matter, which is on the other side of the spectrum. So I was really surprised to see that. I, at first, I thought it was a rumor, but then I, I read it. I think it was in the Washington Post or it was in a Washington newspaper, but it was actually a, a legit uh, legit article. And uh, they did in that uh, area meet up with them and and uh, have some sort of uh, have some sort of meeting. So that to me is very strange. And you're right. It's it's um, there's a lot of the movement, the far right before, there was very defined lines. You know, it was very um, easy to say, okay, well, this is a Nazi group, this is a Klan group, this is a skinhead group. Now, in more recent times, especially this year, we're seeing a lot of that blurring, as you mentioned, and we're seeing a lot of crossover. And another good example of that is like the Boogaloo movement. That is not a far right movement, but it's not a far left movement either. They're like this mix of, <clears throat> I've been asked to explain this before. I don't know if anybody can actually explain what that is, but they're like a mix of like libertarian, a mix of far right, a mix of far left and anarchy and all this all rolled into one. And that's the Boogaloo movement. And it's, and again, the uh, alliances change very quickly and um, in the far right, that's pretty common because there was a lot of infighting and, and uh, there still is between different groups and those alliances change and shift quite a bit. But uh, yeah, definitely any of these type of groups are typically people that are disenfranchised. They're not uh, happy with the system and the way things are going. And, and uh, these groups provide that sort of backdrop. That leads me back to the question that I interrupted myself on a minute ago, which was your article where you said, and I'll link it in this uh, in this post where you said that the media has a responsibility. The media and the public both have a responsibility to be better informed and, and, and to better report on extremist groups. And that takes me to the debate, the first presidential debate of this season, where 
you know, right now in our culture, we have this sort of public like footstop that you know you have to condemn and you have to denounce this group or this person, which for me personally is a problem because uh, the way that you know the way that my faith and my spirituality speaks to how to orient through these problems is that you don't condemn the individual, you condemn the behavior. There's a big difference so that there is an opportunity for redemption. Uh, but you don't have if you're just condemning people left and right. But we have a culture of condemnation. And on the debate stage, we had uh, President Trump was asked to condemn white supremacy, um, just as both Joe Biden was called on to condemn Antifa. And there was, it was a very blurred sort of question with a lot of people talking over each other. And it was very blurred in the sense that, are you condemning the group? Or are you condemning the people who are in that group? And in the case of Trump, for example, there's footage of him denouncing white supremacy very clearly in 2016 um, by the same moderator, Chris Wallace. So my question to you is, given given all this, given the sort of demand that, you know, the pitchfork demand of you've got to go and condemn, you know, this person in this group, is there a right way, so to speak, to denounce supremacy um, so that we are we are really leaving room for dialogue still because I feel like if you're just left and right denouncing people, uh, denouncing ideas, there's very little room to have a dialogue. And and how do you? What would be your advice to media so that they can sort of cover their bases? Because a lot of people right now feel like they need to denounce it so that they're not canceled. Which which this entire mm-hmm. denouncement goes into cancel culture. But what would be your advice to media so that? They're not asking the same questions over and over again, that they're clear that they're accurate, because even the question asked to uh, President Trump was not accurate. Uh, and I don't know who mentioned Proud Boys, but you know when you, when you blur white supremacy with Proud Boys, you've already fumbled up the question to begin with. Uh, and it wasn't even answered accurately, as we've seen with the fallout. So how do you, how do you, how do you sort of deal with this... Um, this this really confused cluster of disorientation in terms of what is you know what is a group and how to deal with it. Well, that's the million dollar question because you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and I'm not a fan of this uh, cancel culture thing uh, because anytime you uh, you know somebody says something and as as you mentioned something could be slightly misconstrued. And all of a sudden, it's something different. And uh, and and I was uh, looking at this today too, where um, there's been a number of times where President Trump has denounced white supremacy. Um, in fact, just recently, he said he wanted to move to have the Ku Klux Klan and Antifa both put on a, a terrorist list. You know, so you know, and and then you read other things, and people keep saying he's a racist, he's a racist, and and this and that, and and. Uh, um, the sides and the lines are so are so divisive at this point where it's very difficult to uh, e- even stay away from that and say like um, you know on a, a, uh, analyzing the presidential debate. Okay, so they didn't get the answer um, they wanted out of Trump, but they also didn't get the answer they wanted out of Biden um, on that same. Uh, in like the article that you're referencing, you know, so Biden, Trump wanted Biden to denounce Antifa, which he didn't. And Biden and uh, Wallace wanted Trump to denounce uh, white supremacy, which he didn't word it in the way they wanted to hear to. So uh, once again, we're like back to square one, where people are not 
you know, answering something a certain way that's appeasing the mob, so to speak. And I don't know, I'm not one to, uh, I, I think I agree with you, you know, where you can't just automatically bend and, and uh, say whatever anybody wants you to say because some of this stuff, it's more nuanced than the way they're, they're putting this stuff. So it's like, uh, um, you know, where do you put, where do you place these labels? Where do you draw the line on what's, what's okay or not? Of course, uh, being a white supremacist is not okay. You know, uh, harming someone else is not okay. These are things I think most people can agree on, but we really have to get back to the dialogue um, as a society, because we're seeing now the kind of polarization we're seeing even between Democrats and Republicans in the general political spectrum is like what what I was a part of when I was a white nationalist, like being involved in an extreme far right organization like uh, the Nazi Party, the NSM, like I was a part of and going, OK, well, all black people, all Jewish people, you know, just painting entire groups of people with this brush is so wrong. And now it's like that sort of thinking, and I don't mean that sort of hatred, but that sort of thinking where you're gonna paint just entire groups of people with this broad brush and go, well, this person's a Democrat uh, and they support Biden, so I'm not gonna listen to them. I'm not gonna talk with them or and vice versa. You know, oh, that person uh, likes Trump, He's a Nazi. He's a he's a racist. And that's really where uh, I think I was going with the with the statement about the media is I do think they need to be a little bit more responsible and a bit more careful on how some of this stuff is worded, because uh, what what I feel like we're seeing, maybe you agree with this or not, but um, it seems like the center and uh, a lot of people that would not be radicalized are starting to become radicalized on one side or the other. And, and that's a disturbing trend, I think. Yeah, 100% with you. It is very, very difficult to be heard as as a voice um, offering some sort of break in the gridlock between you know one side and the other side, whether it's the ideology, whether it's the, the politics. And we saw, obviously, after 2016 was it was that even before that this idea that anyone you don't like is a nazi anyone on the right is a nazi and so it was a very interesting landscape for me to navigate being obviously a minority you know female of a different a different ethnic group and different religious group um but what i've seen in the most recent sort of instances as we're going into the next election is what worries me the most is how much of the tribalism of, of these groups right whether it's antifa whether it's uh, you know BLM, whether it is neo-Nazis, whether it is uh, Boogaloo, whether it's Proud Boys, and 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 I use that wider brush in this case because the, all of them are essentially behaving like there's a gang culture behind it, and so mm -hmm. I use that I use that wide brush in this case because what I see is when you know when we look at these issues, what the media or the public will do is self-divide these issues or these groups these very complex layer cake issues they'll just easily peg them in either the bracket of the right or the left when it's not that simple it's not about right or left these are bigger deeper issues and so what i see happening is when that happens when the media treats these issues as political issues and and, and not as sort of a crisis of humanity, a crisis of belonging, a crisis of identity, a crisis of, um, you know, fitting in. When they do that, the 
these groups end up sucking the, the mainstream political parties left or right like like there's some giant vortex and everything else is spinning around them. The best minds, like even in this Proud Boys case, right, within 24 hours, the best minds in conservatism were, were, were not leading in the way that I know they're capable of leading. Instead, it was the fringe that was leading through reaction confrontation. And so a situation was created uh, exactly like what you would see, I think, in the last podcast when I talked about how you would go and you would look to create a situation and then you would go and recruit off of it. Well, on Monday, the presidential debate stage became that landscape. It became a situation that it became a recruitment tool. And as a result, you've got so many people sort of circling around that vortex. And within 24 hours, it wasn't just that the Proud Boys were discussed, like we're trying to do now, like we're trying to write about now. But for so many people, they've either been either completely demonized with no curiosity as to who they are and what they're about, or they've been championed and defended, justifies, and their cause supported. And that brings me to the culture of violence. And that's a really, really big question I've got for you because there's a recent survey out by YouGov and Voter Study Group that showed that there's a growing openness to political violence. So in the case of the Proud Boys, do we say that, oh, look, they're challenging Antifa, they're, so they're not as bad as Antifa? Or do we say, oh, look, but some Proud Boy members are harassing residents in cities who don't appear to be Antifa? And do we say, oh, those are just a few bad apples? How do we treat Gavin McInnes as their founder's rhetoric, which is just beyond, beyond vulgar and vile? Do we just say he's being theatrical? Like, how do we look at the culture of violence that the Proud Boys exhibit and, and is founded on? And, and, and of course you can bring in Antifa because this is not just exclusive to one group or the other, but there is a culture of violence overall among these groups that they're very, very comfortable with violence. How do we deal with that? Right, and, that, and that's just it. That's just it. Is, it is, it is and, and I, I'm always very careful when I talk about, about this stuff too because it's, it's very important to me to be as fair as possible and not demonize one side over another because... Um, I feel like then you start losing ears. You start losing people's, uh, people stop listening when they feel like you're pulling favoritism to one side or another, they stop listening or they go back into that echo chamber of their own where they, they're like, well, I support this, so I'm going to, you know, stand for this. And, and, uh, you know, we're looking at this, you know, we're trying to analyze this from the outside looking in, we're not picking sides on, on any of this. And, and, uh, but, um, violence begets, begets violence. And, um, one of the things that, that I found out after, you know, leaving the far right too, and analyzing things, analyzing my own journey and that of some of the other people that we had worked with to help uh, leave was, you know, what were some of those driving and mitigating factors that got different people into the movement? And, um, you know, we've already discussed my story, but for some people, the what the mitigating factor was, was they felt like, um, and I'll use this as an example, you know, just because it's where my expertise comes, is um, from the far right. So there's people that I know that that basically got into the movement because of the violence of of Antifa or things that they didn't like on the far on the far left. So these were people that were not already radicalized but became radicalized, and their excuse or their reason 
the, the mitigating factor, the driving factor for them was because they felt like uh, the Constitution or the country was under threat. So I think what's growing a lot of these groups and it's working both ways because people on the left are saying, hey, these these guys and it's not just Proud Boys, but anybody that they see on the right, um, they will view them as fascists and they, they don't like that. So they will be encouraged to fight on the far left. And the same goes the, the flip side the other way, where people on the right see the left as, hey, these guys are a bunch of communists and Marxists or anarchists. And like with the violence and, and chaos that we're seeing in some of the different cities across the country with the riots and things like that, I know from my experience on the far right that a lot of people will be like, well, we need to do something. We need to stop them. Obviously, if the system's not going to do it, then we have to do it. So I think as a society, if the system could get a handle on, on these extremist groups, um, that would be best because otherwise we're going to be dealing with vigilante situations and it's going to continuously feed off of one another. You have more people now talking about civil war and things like that in the country than at any time that I can remember in my lifetime anyways. And that used to be just something that was talked about on the far extreme fringes of like the world I came out of. But now you're hearing mainstream people talk about it like never before. And that's disturbing. There's a book I'm reading right now called, uh, let me get it. It's called The Logic the Logic and Violence in Civil War by a name I can't pronounce. Status Kalyavas. Um, really, really great book. Worth reading for anyone that wants to understand why, what the role of violence right now in a potential um, civil war scenario. Or not necessarily that we're going to lead to civil war, but that is part of the, the narrative of these groups is that there's some sort of climactic battle uh, that's that's coming way, which also was unfortunately interpreted in in the words of um, our president when he suggested the Proud Boys to what was it, stand uh, stand down and stand by, and so that rhetoric is very much alive. Um, my question to you is, and this is obviously not something that can be discussed in a in a podcast, but maybe you have a needle of, of where we can go with this. But how do we, if we say society should take care of it, obviously Claren Project has a PVE program where we go and we we educate and we train communities and frontline leaders in how to understand the different types of extremism and how to humanize it through you know through understanding the push and pull factors that make extremist ideology um, attractive and what sort of patterns radicalize individuals. That's one aspect, but what other sort of solutions do you see? And, and more importantly, can can any of this actually be achieved? Because it's so difficult to get support on a national level for, uh, you know, for the counter narrative work for for solutions that are not um, that are not sensational. Right. Well, and, and that's 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 a big part of it. And and, you know, we do have uh, factors and, and I agree with you, you know, the president, uh, there's things that he said that that could be spurring these things along. And uh, it's not just him, but there, there's politicians on both the right and the left that have been doing it and, and sort of feeding these narratives. And I think if we want to continue uh, the country as we know it 
and, um, you know, get back to a civilized society and not have, you know, people at each other's throats and, and things like that. We need to increase dialogue. We need to increase um, civilized talking. I mean, if you look at the, the you know, even just the two candidates and um, from the presidential debates, they were interrupting each other and the moderator. You know, I mean, the, the entire thing was interrupting this and that. And I mean, that's that's the America we live in now. I mean, that's not something you would have seen. Uh, a, a good debate, a good spirited debate is excellent. I mean, everybody enjoys that. But, you know, where people are just talking over each other and, and just, just for the sake of talking, it's, it was very um, childish, I, I guess, would be a, a, probably the nicest way I could put that. Mm. Um, very childish and very, very immature. And, and uh, um, it's, it's just unfortunate. I think we need to, as a society, get back to dialogue and get back to um, discussing things and uh, get rid of this whole cancel culture idea where, you know, someone says something, you know, we're all humans, humans make mistakes. And I know it's easy for me to say because, um, you know, I, I came from a, a bad a negative background where I've, I've changed my life around. But I mean, I think that's what we want to see. We want to see people that um, say a guy went to prison for something uh, terrible and he got out and he's turned his life around. I think that's a, that's a good thing. We want people to succeed. We want people to do better and improve their lives. Otherwise, what, uh, what's the point? You know, if, if everything is all about negativity, that doesn't help anyone. So I think as a society, we need to get back to the, uh, to the dialogue table, really. It, it reminds me of, um, and I've seen this theme more times than I can even count, but this idea that Western culture is superior, right? Which, I, which I've which i grown up with. I've grown up with that idea. Um, even before I went to school, it was very much ingrained in sort of the outer fringes of my family and, and even, you know, my immigration story. So this idea of Western culture is superior is, is very familiar to me. Yet, when studying radical um, militant Islam, there's this idea within within that ideology that Western culture is corrupt and, and broken and, and inconsistent, unstable. And the funny thing is, is that we're kind of seeing that now in the sense that, you know, we're not really sure where we're going to go. We're not really sure what's going to happen with the elections. We're seeing an instability which doesn't really inspire confidence for those of us who who see the potential that Western society has and can still have. Um, one of my arguments is that even this idea of MAGA, for example, Make America Great Again, is is incomplete because it relies on a fixed point in history, whereas society ideally is always moving forward. I mean, what civilization can still be is, I, I would hope beyond our imagination that we'd continue to get keep getting better. But when we see this sort of level of instability right now in the US, and then we look at outside cultures and ideologies that are sort of like wagging their finger right now, seeing how Hasia told you. Um, when you look at that, how do you sort of hold that in one hand and then hold in your in the other hand this idea that the Proud Boys have and their core values of Western chauvinism? So what is Western chauvinism? And and do we do we still have sort of a right to, to have that? arrogance of superiority given where we are right now oh that's a that's a great question wow 
Um, no, you're absolutely right because what what is happening with exactly like you said is other you know the United States likes to believe that um, you know we're the world leaders, we're the example to set for everybody else in the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is focused like very tightly on what is happening here, what is happening with the elections, what's happening with the political and uh, economic instability with the with the rioting, all of this kind of stuff that's going on in the country. And they are not, that is not a vote of confidence. It's something that they're looking at and going, wow, this country is a mess. There is um, not a lot. Uh, the United States certainly can't say, hey, we are you know, we are the example to follow for everybody else when the whole country is in, involved in this chaos right now. It's certainly not a good look, and it doesn't uh, instill confidence in other in other nations that are watching us right now. So, um, you know, we could get into into all sorts of potential conspiracy theories about that, and um, other nations that might want to rise up that ladder and and uh, you know take advantage of the United States's chaos and things like that. But I think that's probably something for another conversation or just to avoid altogether. But uh, um, it really is. It's if the United States wants to be the world leader and and show that uh, Western culture is is superior and is the way to go or the the way that uh, we want people to emulate, we need to act like leaders. And right now we're not seeing uh, we're not seeing leadership. We're seeing uh, we're seeing chaos. And that's not a it's not a good look at all. So yeah, I, I agree with that. So is Western chauvinism leadership on a national stage? What What is Western chauvinism? If, if you... What is Western chauvin- yeah. chauvinism? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's basically that. It's like saying, hey, you know, we're the best and, and that sort of thing. So I mean, I think when, uh, in reference to the Proud Boys, when they talk about things like that, you know, they want that, um, to take pride in that. Like a lot of people want to take pride in being an American and all that. And I think that's not an abnormal thing. I think it, it's good to be, it's good to be, um, at one point it was popular. It was a good thing to be patriotic and nationalistic. And I don't mean nationalistic in the sense of like racist, but I mean like proud of your country. Just a few years ago, everybody was flying American flags and things like that. And now we have people in this, uh, you know, certain people in the streets burning American flags and, um, you know, of course, you've had things like that here and there, but it seems to be a little bit more popular right now, which which is concerning, I think, for anybody. So I think, um, you know, from their perspective, you know, they want to bring back uh, the old glory of America and, and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, that's probably a question better off, better put for them rather than than me speculating on what they mean by that. But I, I think a Western chauvinist to me, it just sounds like somebody that wants that, that feels it's a superior uh, culture. Yeah, I do look. I do look forward to seeing if I can get a hold of someone there and to ask them that question because what I feel like is, you know, being an immigrant is the idea of America is so beautiful to me for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I came from a culture that didn't see the individual. Like I literally never had anyone ask me how my day was until I came here to the states at seven. And I had um, a British aunt ask me how my day was. And I was just floored, you know, gobsmacked that someone cared enough about how, you know, my, my little opinion. And so that's just, it's a very small anecdote, but it gives you the idea of that this, this sort of focus and, and, and care for the individual is, you know, and it's rooted in our constitution, it's rooted in our Bill of Rights, 
it's not something that is freely available in other parts of the world. And I think that's really, really precious. But the other thing is this idea of excellence. And, and I think that's where, you know, MAGA, for example, doesn't really get it right because I, I think America still hasn't fulfilled its potential. It still has such a long way to go um, in the best sense. And so my question for the Proud Boys, if anyone is listening to it, to this or when I get hold of someone there, is is the solution then, given where we are right now as a country, brute force, because that, that seems to be what they offer, that you return to glory through brute force. And, and so that's really my question um, that I will that I will ask them. But I do have to ask you if you know the Proud Boys' position on immigration, because if we're looking at this old glory, does that tie into... You know, does that tie into race any, in any way? Does that tie into immigration in any way? What's your sense of that? I, I mean, I think from their perspective, I don't think it has really anything to do with race because the group makes up people of different races. I think it's primarily a white. Um, there's probably more white guys in it than anything else, and they don't have female members, which I, I think is a little strange. But uh, that's just my you know personal uh, thought on it. But um, <clears throat> you know, it's it seems to be made up of mostly white guys, but it's not uh, it's not um, a racial movement. And I don't think it ever was. Um, you know, it says right on their bylines and, and what they stand for that it's not they're not racist and they are open to people of all races and uh, or men, excuse me, of all races. What about um, religious? Would so, they would they be open to Muslims immigrating? You think? I don't think so and, and if I'm wrong on that you know I would, I would be happy to correct myself uh, or, or be corrected on that uh, but I believe they are specifically Christian and I believe there was some very anti-Muslim rhetoric at right. some point I don't know if that was under the former leader or under the current leader because I'm not uh, an expert on definitely on, uh, under under the former leader Gavin had it and and so and and that you know goes back to this Western chauvinism idea because this idea that America or any Western country is what it is in it's in a vacuum it, it it sort of manifested out of a silo of of um, uh, thinkers and ideas and inspirations and timelines that only impacted other people in that in that sort of territorial boundary is so utterly ridiculous because as we know the entire sort of human civilization has has so many overlapping tiers and, and layers and, and folds and and migration patterns and um, you know ideas that have sort of cross boundaries and so so yeah it, it, there's the, the idea of Western chauvinism I think is a much bigger question than just you know the the label of white supremacy which is obviously inaccurate um, I have a last question for you okay. Could you speak to the idea that we should only be focusing on some violent groups and not others? And so this isn't this isn't necessarily um, speaking to the ideology of any group, so to speak, but really the violence that the group has, right? So we, we know that some of these groups are, are violent as much as the other group in other ways, uh, some not as much. So do you think that we should only be focusing on some violent groups and not others. For example, should we just focus on Antifa and actual neo-Nazis because that's the bigger threat right now? Whereas the Proud Boys seem to be only responding to when the threat's you know, right in front of them. 
No, I think we have to look at we, uh, we. First of all, we have to look at all of the different groups that are uh, engaging in this stuff. You can't. You properly. You cannot confront violent extremism or extremism in general if you pick and choose and cherry pick. You know, and and that's something that I I'm 100% sure of. If you if you just and and we do see this and and uh, you know I'm not going to name anybody or anything like that, but we do see this where where there's people that are on the far left and they just want to um, you know vilify the far right and we see it all the time and then they will. Um, uh, you know, gloss over it and say, well, you know, the, the right, the far right is worse. And there's people on the right that do the exact same thing. They'll just say, well, all these people on the far left are, are really bad and uh, sort of poo-poo the people that have done bad things there. We, we can't do that anymore. That's part of the problem. You know, we have to look at all of the different groups that are engaged in this stuff and and look at them closely and look at who the violent people are and who's involved in uh, civil destruction and disobedience and and uh, rioting and who's involved in plotting violent things and saying violent things um, talking about violent things uh, you know we're, we're seeing a lot of that sort of stuff where it's the whole violent culture seems to be going more mainstream uh you know just a number of years ago if you said certain things on the internet or uh, out loud you know where it was it was being publicized you could get in a lot of trouble and now i mean there's people out there threatening politicians i've seen uh blue checkmark people on twitter talking about burning down the congress and (laughs) i mean it's unbelievable I, i know coming from the far right i know of guys that have said less less than that that are doing prison time so you know that that, that's a problem that's a problem i mean uh, violence is becoming is becoming acceptable saying saying really crazy or or terrible things about other people is becoming uh okay in a lot of people's eyes and I, i don't think that's acceptable and i don't think that that should be tolerated you know, Jeffrey M., who's a civil rights activist, long time, he made a really interesting observation. He said that the solutions right now aren't going to come from political leaders because they're not equipped in the language of, of uh, peace building. And that it's going to take humanitarians, uh, it's going to take change agents based on, you know, rooted in an understanding of peace. It's going to take people like myself and yourself, especially formers, who've lived this life to really move forward and move the needle, but it's it's very difficult to do when, um, you know, we're just, we're A, we're not sensational, B, we're not provocative, uh, C, we're not sort of part of the tribal echo chamber. The other bit of it is, is as, as a woman, what I see is this culture that you speak of, of violence, is, um, you know, when we had the Me Too movement, for example, we had this, this, all this, content and, and books and speakers, and we still do, around uh, feminine rage, for example, right? And I bring that up because there's it's been rewarded that you have this rage. It's even before the Me Too movement, you know, speaking from a Muslim background, we've got Muslims, we've got ex-Muslims, athe- atheist Muslims, you know, all sorts. And the ones who speak from a place of rage have a different kind of an audience, a different kind of platform, because it's rewarded and that rage is rewarded 
that builds a culture where the 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 way forward is not through self-reflection it's not through figuring out your traumas you know like i'm sorry so and so had a messed up childhood i'm sorry you had terrible experiences but there is a responsibility to figure out like what's going on within us and figuring that out and then leading that forward which is what i think makes former such powerful change agents like yourself because you have literally lived it and you have been forced to go through a gauntlet of change and of, of introspection and, and personal evolution to come out on the other side whereas what we're seeing right now is a lot of these folks whether they're part of one radical group or another one extremist group or another what one fringe or another they flock to these these fringes because there is something lacking usually um, an inability to process something that's going on personally, that would be that would be my observation on this is that we're what we're seeing right now is so much, you know, this is not just about Proud Boys. This is just collectively. This is even just the, the the person arguing with someone on the internet for the sake of arguing. There's so much collective trauma that has been unearthed because of the issues that are coming forward that is being triggered, that is being um, forced to be seen, but there aren't any sort of solutions and how to deal with it. And brute force violence is, you know, meeting somebody with a fist on the street. Literally, when you see some of the, the violent videos of whatever group, I don't care what group it is, I mean, people are just going out there and letting loose. And, and that isn't, um, and that isn't, that isn't personally healthy and that is not safe and that is not conducive. But I feel like if there was more of an effort to, um, to to promote the right leaders, right? More of an effort to understand, like, look, this, uh, A, let's not demonize people. B, let's figure out what's going on with your personal issues. We would be able to have a tangible path forward to dealing with some of this. Because, you know, when I when I see things like, oh, the solution is to, to be a powerful woman and cut down every man the solution is to be uh vehemently anti-fascist and take on you know punch a nazi for example that that is that is just um that is just i want to say that is reinforcing personal trauma mm-hmm. yep and, and it makes it you're exactly right and, that, and that's the thing and, and you know as far as like leaving leaving extremism and things like that it's so much easier to just to to just and that's from a, the perspective of somebody that's been there. It's so much easier to go punch somebody in the face or go or go say, you know what, this is easier. It's going to make me feel good for a second. I'm going to go out and fight, and uh, that's that's the easy path. So that's why a lot of people want to do it, and and they 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 feel like that's the answer. It's the easy path. They can get out that anger, that rage, that pent up frustration. It's harder. And it's but it but it's more worth it to do things the right way and to do things peacefully and to bring society back from the brink to get us off of this cusp of where the nation seems to be heading in a lot of ways. And and I don't think most people, you know, they may think that they want it. They may think they want this revolution or this or this sort of thing, but they're not. Most of these people don't come from that background of violence, of of what they don't realize what they're wishing for. And when it comes or if it comes, it's, it's going to be something that they'll all wish never happened. But sometimes when that snowball gets rolling, it's really hard to stop, you know? So let's, let's try to stop that before it, before it happens and before 
we experience a loss of life in, in this country that none of us uh, needs or wants. Brilliantly said, Jeff. I couldn't have I couldn't have wrapped it up better myself. And we'll leave everyone with that message. Tell everyone where they can find you. Um, they can find me on uh, Twitter at Scoop Jeff. That's S C H O E P J E F F. Uh, my website is uh, jeffscoop.com, or uh, my organization is Beyond Barriers USA. Org. Um, check us out and and. Uh, uh, Thanks again for having me on the program, Shireen. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. It's always a delight to speak to somebody sane and and who who makes me feel a little less alien in the landscape right now. (laughs) All right, we will wrap it at that. Thank you so much.